Patience is a virtue. Possess it if you can. Seldom found in women, never found in man. And as much as I'd like to stand here tonight as the champion for the male population and declare to you that a great injustice has been done with those words, you know what? I don't think I can. I have to admit, my wife's certainly a lot more patient than I am. And whether or not that's the case in your houses, I'm going to leave that for you to discuss on the car journey on the way home. I'm not getting involved. I know better than to do that. And yet there's something in this proverb that we all surely can agree on. Because whether it's seldom or never, patience is something that is lacking in society. You take the example today, how easy it is for a person to get frustrated when something doesn't go their way. Maybe that's true for you tonight. Maybe there's been an occasion in the past where you've been behind a tractor, behind one of those Sunday drivers who seem to have all the time in the world of nowhere to be, and you fast forward a minutes later, what are you trying to do? You're attempting some reckless maneuver to pass that individual that's born out of frustration. Maybe, like my wife, you've ordered something on Amazon for next day delivery, and it doesn't arrive the next day. It comes the day after. But when it arrives, it's not the thing you've ordered. And therefore, again, you feel the frustration building up, do you not? You take something else tonight, your place of employment. You work, you've been working for several years, and you work harder than anybody else, but you never seem to get the credit, you never seem to get the even acclaim, you never seem to get that pay rise or that promotion you feel that you deserve. You can't prove it, but you've heard along the grapevine that it's because you're a Christian. And therefore, you're being unfairly punished and oppressed because of your faith. And this is the idea, really, that we see tonight in James chapter 5, because there is the oppression of believers here in this chapter. James chapter 5 and verse 1, we find those guilty of such oppression, they're described as being rich men. When you read down that chapter, it's revealed that these rich men did all that they could to oppose the believers. In verse 4, we find that they've been deprived, they've been defrauded of their wages. And in verse 6, we read of their destruction, it speaks here about their being condemned and their being killed. Now, whether or not these believers were literally being killed, we cannot be certain. But you link verse 6 back to what it says in verse 4, and the most likely conclusion that we have here tonight is that by depriving the people of their wages, they were, in effect, killing those people. People's response to such circumstances, you read James chapter 5, it's surprising, I think, to say the least, because at the end of verse 6, we are told that they humbly and they quietly accepted it. And as always, we need to place ourselves in their position. And we can ask ourselves the question tonight, well, how would we react if that was our reality? Maybe it is your reality tonight. See, how is the Christian to respond in times of adversity? Well, we find the answer, again, given in the Word of God. I want to draw your attention particularly tonight to verses 7 and 8. Verses 7 and 8, that's really going to be the verses we're going to study tonight. And the theme, really, of these verses, the theme of our subject tonight, it's appropriate conduct for adverse circumstances. Appropriate conduct for adverse circumstances. And I have three very simple thoughts tonight that we see from these two verses. So the first thing we need as Christians tonight is a mindset the right mindset, and that mindset here is commanded. That's my first thought. We have a mindset in these verses that's commanded. 
You read verses 7 and 8 with me, and you'll see it continually being expressed. It says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receive the early and the latter rain. Be ye also patient. So three times in these verses, we have James calling upon the believer to be patient. He says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, hath long patience, be ye also patient. In other words, that's the mindset that's required, despite the circumstances we find ourselves in. And it's interesting to note here that this isn't the first time that we find James urging this type of attitude. You turn back tonight to James chapter 1. You read just the opening words there in verses 3 and 4. James chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. He says, Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And the fact tonight that this book of James begins and ends with the exhortation toward patience, it's not something that is to be missed. It highlights the condition, does it not, of every believer. How often do we forget to be patient, particularly in those times when we've been treated in a manner that's just so unfair and we feel it's just so unjust. And at those times, we feel more than enough that we want to take matters in our own hands. We want to do it to bring those sufferings to an end. But James continually warns against that type of an attitude. He tells us we need to remain patient. And we read these words here in James chapter 1. We read in James chapter 5, we have the same word patient here in our English language, and yet the meanings of those words, they're very different. James chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, that word patience here, it means to persevere. It means to endure. It's endurance in the midst of a person's circumstances or their situation in life. But then James chapter 5 and verse 7, the word patience, it means to be long-suffering. It means to be slow to anger toward those who would oppose you. But you can take that idea even further in James chapter 5 and verse 7. Because this long-suffering here, it is to be understood tonight as a command. But what I mean by that is not something that's merely optional, you know. Well, it says we need to be patient, but we don't have to be, so we're not going to be. No, the complete opposite is true in James chapter 5. Because the word itself gives the thought of expectation. They had to do it. This had to be their mindset. It was imperative that they remain patient, whatever their condition, whatever their circumstances in life. And James here, he's not writing as somebody who is oblivious to their suffering or who's never suffered himself because James, you read about his life, and he suffered much. He suffered much at the expense of others because of his faith. But he realized something. He realized that if he were attempt to reflect something of Christ in his life, then he needed to follow Christ's example when Christ was persecuted. And we read about that, of course, in the New Testament, in the Word of God. You have those familiar words, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. It says, Who, when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. Now, how did James seek to instill this kind of mindset in the people. Well, he does it by showing them the benefit here of having that kind of a mindset. You look again at James chapter 5 and verse 7. 
It says, Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receive the early and the latter rain. Now, the reference to the husbandman here, it's speaking of a farmer, speaking of somebody who works the land, and I know very little about farming, I know nothing about farming. That's pretty obvious if you ever speak to me about farming. But I'd imagine it's something that requires great patience, something that requires great perseverance. And why do I say that? Well, because the farmer doesn't always have an immediate yield, doesn't always have an immediate reward for his labors. And the outcome of his labors is not solely dependent upon him. Because the farmer, he'll toil and he'll labor in his field for many months. He might prepare as best as he can, but he understands that the yielding of that fruit is out of his hands. Verse 7 says, he waiteth patiently for it. And that word waiteth here, it means to wait with expectancy. An expectant waiting for something that comes from without. In other words, the farmer here recognized that the fruit of his labors were, not, were independent of his own personal activity. Outside forces. He had no control over it. He had no say over how much sun or how much rain there was going to be. And it required him to have long patience until he received the early and the latter rain. And you know what? We complain all the time. So much rain. Raining today, raining yesterday. I was just speaking this week and trying to get the garden cut, as I'm sure we all are, and you can't get enough of the sun. It's always raining. You go to the land of Palestine at the time that James is writing here, and it would have typically rained twice a year. It's what we call here, what's referred to as the early and the latter rain. And you may or may not be aware, but the early rain that would have fell in October or November of the year, it would have caused the ground to soften. It would have then allowed the seeds to germinate. But then there was a very long wait, because it wasn't until April or May of the following year that the latter rain came. And with that latter rain, the maturing of the crop and then the harvest. The thing is, the farmer here could do nothing to hasten his circumstances, no matter how hard he tried. And you know, it's the same regarding the circumstances that we find ourselves in life. Our sufferings as believers really will only end whenever the Lord intervenes. But until that happens, we're to remain patient. In this illustration here of the husbandman in verse 7, the harvest comes. And look at how that harvest is described in verse 7. It's called precious. That harvest was worth the wait. It was something of great value. It was something that to be held in great honor. And again, we apply that tonight to our own personal circumstances. However long our sufferings continue, our end will indeed be worth the wait. Paul was able to testify to that very thing in Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Christ in John chapter 15, he's referred to as the husbandman. And as a husbandman, he brings forth fruit in our lives. And we too, we are to be good husbandmen as we are given resources from God. We seek to spread the gospel seed. We seek to share the message of the gospel. We can look forward to that spiritual harvest that will come one day. And it mightn't come in your lifetime. It mightn't come in my lifetime. 
But we can be encouraged to patiently endure because the Lord says it will happen. He's promised it. Think of those familiar words in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we, we shall reap if we faint not. And therefore, don't lose heart tonight. Whatever circumstances you currently find yourself in, you're to do as James tells us here in verse 8, be also patient. Just as the husband here is patient, we too, as believers, we need to be patient. The word patience here, something else that's interesting about it, it's something that's not bound by time. What I mean by that, why do I say that? Well, the duration is mentioned in verse 7. We're to be patient until the coming of the Lord. In other words, that need for patience will only end whenever we meet the Lord. Do patient at all times, patient every single day, in every circumstance in life, for however long we remain on this earth. And as I thought about that prospect, I was greatly challenged by it. Challenged for the simple reason being this. If you knew tonight how long your trials were going to last, in some ways it would make that trial a little bit easier. Well, I need to suffer for three weeks, maybe just three months, but you know, after I get to those three months, the trial's going to be over, it's going to be difficult, it's going to be hard, Lord, but I just need to get to that point and it'll be okay. But to face the prospect of a trial tonight for an unknown period of time, it's only got to increase the difficulty as believers. Would you and I be willing to patiently endure for the next 30 years or 40 years or 50 or 60 years, however long the Lord would spur you? And yet if we claim to truly belong to Christ, that needs to be the case. That needs to be our mindset because as living examples of Christ, we are obligated to represent him in every aspect of our life, including patience. Again, Paul, to borrow his words, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ. And therefore, instead of responding to adversity by giving as good as we get, and how easy is it to do that? Remain patient. But you'd be surprised how much of a greater effect that will have. Someone gives a sharp word or sharp rebuke to you, and they're expecting you to bite back, aren't they? Why not do the opposite? Be surprised by it. How powerful a kind word offered in patience will reveal our faith to other people. But the sad reality is, and I include myself always first on the list whenever I preach, I'm always top of that list. We can be anything but patient. We allow our enemies, we allow our circumstances to frustrate us, and instead of being long-suffering, we are short-tempered. And what does the Word of God tell us to do? Well, turn with me tonight to Hebrews chapter 12. Read verses 14 and 15. Again we see it. It says, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. We follow peace. Literally means we're to pursue that peace. We're to be disciplined. 
we are to be directed toward gospel holiness. And these individuals, they take great care to not allow their present sufferings to cause them to fall short of the grace of God. And how is that possible? It's only possible through the continual help of the Spirit, who works within us that fruit of the Spirit, which is long-suffering, which is patience. So we have a mindset tonight that's commanded. We need to be patient. But then the second thing I want to consider with you then is a motivation that is certain. The motivation that is certain, you see, it's easy to tell somebody to be patient, but it's much harder, it's another thing entirely to get that person to actually respond in a positive way. But you give an individual the proper motivation, they'll do almost anything. And what motivation does James bring to the believers? Well, again, look what he says in verse 8. He says, Be also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. He could be motivated by the certainty that the Lord would remove that suffering one day. How exactly are we to understand what Paul means here when he uses that phrase, the coming of the Lord draweth nigh? Well, I think there's two ways. You need to take the words firstly in the context in which we find them. It's always important to do that. And taking the words in the context, there's the case that can be made here that it's speaking about a judgment that is particular. In other words, it's particular to those wicked men that we read about at the beginning of James chapter 5. But you also can take the words here out of their immediate context, and there's a the thought then of a general judgment, that judgment that's going to occur at the Lord's second coming. And whatever way you interpret those words, there's surely no greater motivation for the believer tonight in their sufferings than the certainty that the Lord will one day put an end to them. And it would be easy to come to a verse like this, others like it, and this verse that seems to point to the second coming of Christ and to miss the point entirely. So many people focus on the specifics. When's it going to be? What time's it going to be? What day of the week's it going to be? And they miss out on the great hope that there is. Miss out on the opportunity to tell those who are lost in their sin about their need of a Christ who is coming. I'm not saying that we shouldn't study these things, or it's not an important doctrine. Of course it is. Three times in verses 7, 8, and 9, we have those words referred to, this doctrine referred to directly and indirectly. Christ himself, he speaks much about it. But what does Christ say about it? Mark chapter 13, verse 32. Of that day and that hour knoweth no man. Maybe I'm a bit naive. You can tell me that at the door if you like. But that's good enough for me. That's good enough for me. It's easy, is it not, to allow ourselves to focus on our current circumstances, what's happening around us, as opposed to setting our affections upon the great hope that is found in Jesus Christ. And again, I think Paul, he puts it into perspective in a wonderful way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if you want to turn there with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and read the last two verses of that chapter. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. He says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, 
but the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul, as you know, suffered greatly at the hands of wicked men for his faith. And yet Paul testifies here that those were but a light affliction, momentary when compared with the eternal bliss that awaited Paul in heaven. And having this attitude was key to Paul's whole outlook and perspective in his life. In the midst of his sufferings, he was motivated by the certainty of heaven when those sufferings would cease. You think of Revelation. God's going to wipe away all those tears. No more death, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more pain. But it's only through God's grace and it's only by having a right perspective as believers regarding the certainty of our eternal future that we can ever testify to our afflictions as being light. Paul has the right mindset. He's the right motivation. The third thing I want you to see from James chapter 5 tonight then is there needs to be a manner. And that manner that we need has to be cultivated. Look again at verse 8, James chapter 5. The believers told they need to establish their hearts. To establish the heart means to establish it. It's to fix it. Inwardly firm. To strengthen the heart in a particular way. The psalmist, he puts it this way in Psalm 112, verses 7 and 8. He almost says the same thing. He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed. Trusting in the Lord, his heart is established. He shall not be afraid until he see his desire upon his enemies. Again, it's only when the believer's heart is fixed on the Lord and trust in the Lord alone that we're able to establish our hearts. So we need to see tonight that there's the requirement of personal effort on our part. We need to take the initiative. We need to cultivate that desire in our hearts at times. But how can we ever hope to do that? By doing the simple things, by doing the things that we know. It's by going to the Word of God and it's by praying to the Lord. And what does the Word of God tell us about establishing our hearts? Just a few thoughts I want to leave with you and then we'll finish. We can establish our hearts firstly by accepting that in desiring to serve Christ, suffering is inevitable. It's inevitable. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If I could borrow the words of Peter... Peter, of course, as you'll know, is written to persecuted and suffering Christians. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 4, he says, We're not to think it strange concerning those fiery trials which are to try you. Those things shouldn't surprise us as believers, but they also shouldn't discourage us either. Instead, they should cause us to rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings. So we need to accept that suffering is inevitable. But there's also the need to leave off thoughts of personal vengeance. And again, I can just give you a verse tonight, Romans chapter 12 and verse 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. Rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And again, as much as you and I might want to retaliate and to give as good as we get, we're able to put those things aside when we fully understand that the Lord will take care of such people. So suffering is inevitable. Put away the personal vengeance. But we also need to submit to God's sovereignty. God's sovereign purposes toward all men. Because the Lord will punish the wicked. 
And the Lord will deliver the righteous out of their danger. And of such things we can be certain, again, not because I have said it, but because the Word of God tells us. If you're taking notes, you can take the verse down, Second Peter chapter 2, verse 9. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the God out of temptations, and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. Fourth thing. We can fix our attention, our attention upon Christ. And Christ is the greatest example of suffering in life. Those familiar words, Hebrews chapter 12 and 1 and 2. We're to run with patience. We're to look unto Jesus, who's the author and the finisher of our faith. But how does that verse go on? Who for the joy that was set down before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. But the final way in which we can establish our hearts it's by understanding that the end for the believer is greater than their current suffering. And again, if you want a verse, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10, I think it's one of the most wonderful verses you'll read in the entire Bible. The God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you've suffered a while, so there you have it, we're going to suffer. But then he'll make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. See, God, by his grace and for his glory, will complete the work in those whom he's bestowed the grace and the greatest privilege of being God's people. So we might suffer for a while on earth, but one day he will establish that state of glory forever in heaven. But until that day comes, we're to follow the example here of the farmer in verse 7. Farmer didn't sit about didn't wait for the harvest to come. He continually worked until the harvest came and then he gathered that harvest in. And may that be our continual attitude in life. When you think of the many evangelistic opportunities that we come face to face with every single day. People you work with. People you meet on a daily basis. Family members that are not saved. Anyone else you can think of at the top of your mind, may you take that opportunity every single time to tell them of Christ. Maybe you'd be encouraged tonight to keep on trying despite the opposition, despite the rejection that we will inevitably get from time to time. You think even of the gospel missions coming here in a couple of months. Maybe we use the months leading up to the mission as a time of preparation. And first and foremost, that needs to be a time to prepare our hearts. But then we need to take the opportunity as it comes to spread the gospel, to spread the news, to tell people of the mission, to invite people in to hear words by where they might be saved. And whatever response you receive, whether it be positive or negative, we need to remember how to conduct ourselves. It's conducting ourselves in the manner that James speaks about here in James chapter 5 and verse 8. Be also patient. Establish your hearts the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. May God write that word upon your hearts tonight. May it challenge you. May it encourage you. May it just direct you even how to pray tonight as well. We come to your time and it's good to see so many gathered out at the place of prayer. It's good to be able to pray together in this fashion and therefore we'll take the time. We'll pray one after the other and whatever's on your heart, whatever you need to pray for, just pray together as believers and just pray with each other as well. It's always good to encourage one another in prayer also.
So I'll start just briefly, and then I'll leave the majority of the time just to you to pray. So let's even seek the Lord again together. Our Father and our God, we just come into thy presence. We thank thee, Lord, for the opportunity just to be here this Wednesday night, Lord, this time of the week, to open up the Word of God, to receive instruction, to receive even what we need, just Lord. And I trust and pray that it has been that Word to all of our hearts. I thank Thee, Lord, for challenging my heart, even in preparation. I pray, Lord, just as we come to Thee, that we'll remember, Lord, that need of patience. Lord, so often it's something we all feel in. A sharp word. We think of rejection, Lord. We think of times we have tried to share the gospel with someone and have thrown it back in our face. Lord, help us just to be patient. Help us to have that right attitude when it comes to serving Thee. We pray tonight, Lord, for each and every one of us you have gathered. Lord, with differing needs, differing thoughts in their mind, we pray as we would come together to meet in this fashion that we would even have that spirit that the apostles had, Lord. We would pray with one accord, pray with unity in heart and mind. We thank, Lord, of this church. We thank thee for it. Thank thee of the witness that has been over the many years and even the great reports and the great stories that we've heard of souls being saved in this church. Lord, we pray that you would do it again. Lord, you haven't changed. You're still the same God. You're still in the business of saving souls. And we thank, Lord, of that promise that we often pray that you're building your church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it, Lord. And that is something you're doing right now. You are building your church. You'll continue to build it until every member of that gathering is called home. We pray, Lord, even that this church will even see some of that. We'll see, Lord, many brought into this church, many souls, one for the Lord Jesus Christ. We think particularly of the mission as well coming up, and we pray for that, that you'll prepare hearts, prepare our hearts, Lord, even just to be ready for that mission, Lord, to even just be ready to speak to our loved ones, ready to speak to those around us, ready to invite people in, Lord, to give us courage to do that. May we pray about it that continually. Pray for the ones who would come and who would take those services as well, that you'll even prepare their hearts. I think also, Lord, of the Lord's Day. Think of that opportunity once again for the opening of the Word of God. That you will just come with that Word in season to every single heart. Think of those tonight, Lord, who are struggling, those tonight who are unwell. I think particularly tonight, Lord, of the Reverend Brown's mother. And I just pray for that situation, Lord. You know all about it. You know, Lord the hearts of those involved, Lord, and just the sadness that there is at this time, of course. And we just thank the Lord for every remembrance of her, Lord, that she is a woman, a woman who's saved, a woman who's a godly testimony. And we pray, Lord, you'll continue just to be with the family. We pray for, for her, Lord, to be your will, just to even raise her up again. But, Lord, we just leave it with thee. We pray, Lord, for this time together that as we come to pray that you will even just impress upon our hearts the things we need to pray for, the things we ought to pray for, things maybe we didn't think we'd need to pray for, Lord, just put it upon our minds now. We pray you'll continue just to be with us and you'll, you'll bless us and you'll encourage us and help us, Lord, to pray and just to pray freely, 
without fear, Lord, of what others might think. Just, Lord, give us that spirit of prayer right now. It's in Jesus' name we ask those things. Amen.